Hey, welcome back to another episode of Addicted to MRR. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Aaron Crawl. How's it going, Aaron? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. I'm so glad that you're here. So, Aaron, this is a little bit different for us because normally we're talking to people who actually run subscription businesses, but you actually help subscription-based businesses. Is that correct? Right. So what are the sort of ways that you're able to help those businesses? And, and I guess sort of what are some of the common stumbling blocks that you see subscription businesses having, maybe even some things that they don't realize that are issues that really are issues within their business? Yeah, totally. So so I just help, uh, I focus on software companies who have a trial to paid model, trial or freemium paid model, who have a low touch sales process. So a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that I, that I teach my clients that I help them with can apply to pretty much any subscription type business because there's, there's an ongoing payment and, and they're, they're purchasing a product or a service for a length of time. So the, the, the things that I see, there's a, there's a few big mistakes that I see in the subscription model kind of, and that is the main one is the, uh, what I call the slice of the pie mentality. And that's the idea that I'm going to go, I'll go into a subscription business or we'll start a software company that takes a slice of the pie because there's such a huge market out there. And so I work with like companies that, that build out like a booking tool and they're like, well, Calendly, you know, there's a huge need for it. So let's just create another one and take a slice of the pie. That is like a, a huge mistake that I see companies making because they're, they're competing in a red ocean where there's so many competitors and they have so much more resources and, uh, and money to throw at getting new customers that they, they really struggle to grow because they're trying to, to steal away a part of that pie. Sure. So that that's makes, one of the, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's no differentiation, right? And so then it just becomes a race to the bottom. It's sort of the Amazon problem, right? Like it, if you're playing on the same specs, your only competitive advantage becomes price, which is really hard to do out of the gate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you can't, and there's really no differentiator. So, so you're, you're kind of struggling to, um, to make yourself different and, and now finding customers is really hard. So you, you probably will end up trying to steal Calendly customers somehow. Like, so the only keywords you can rank for are like Calendly alternatives and alternatives to Calendly. So you're getting mad customers inside <laughs> up for your tool. Anyways, it just ends up being like a huge mess. So my, that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see with subscription bases, not uh, picking a market, really identifying a problem in that market and then solving that problem really well and being the only ones that solve that specific problem. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know if you're familiar with Todd Brown. He, he always focuses in on like, what's the big marketing idea, right? And how can you translate mm -hmm. your approach or something into something that even if it's not explicitly different, how can you make your total approach, product, service, et cetera, bundled together, something that is unique to you, give it a name even, so that the only place that they can get that version of that thing is from you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, it's exactly right. I haven't heard of Tom Brown, but uh, I'm, I, I do read a lot of direct marketing stuff, um, stuff like Mark Joyner and Gary Halpert and all these direct marketing guys. And that's exactly right. You don't have to be the best in your industry. All you have to be is perceived as the only one doing what you do and being perceived as different. So instead of the booking tool, you can be the booking tool for plumbers. And now you've like, you're totally separated yourself from all the other competitors. Uh, you understand your market. Now you can focus on building features and tool set that specifically help plumbers, you know, and really the tools are the exact same as Calendly, but you just position yourself a little bit differently. And now you're perceived as being different. I could not agree more. Yeah, it's funny, you know, when you build a, a tool, you're like, well, this is the widget. It could serve everybody in, you know, yeah. with this widget. But little tweaks about, like, I think ConvertKit was a really good example of this, even though they're, you know, could be perceived as a competitor to our tool with Campion Refinery. What Convert did that was really smart was they decided at first it was, you know, marketing automation for bloggers. And now they've broadened it slightly to marketing automation for creators. Functionality-wise, there's not a lot of differentiation really yeah, between ConvertKit exactly. and ActiveCampaign, et cetera. But they just decided, you know what, if we can speak to this audience and then we can take that language and let it flow, not only from the front end of our marketing, but through our entire app, all of our marketing messages can be aligned. Everyone who comes here that is a blogger or quote creator 
you know, it's going to feel like, hey, this tool is speaking to me. And even though there's not really a big difference from a technical perspective. Exactly. Yeah. I could, we, I could keep going on this for the next hour. dude. <laughs> so, so, I mean, we could talk about that later, but, but I think it's such a huge key is being, per, is being perceived as being different. Sure. Well, maybe we should spend a little bit of time then talking about business models because you talked about freemium and the, you know, free trial to paid. And then obviously even within that bubble, there's, you know, free, no credit card required, free Mm -hmm. credit card required. And I understand that probably a lot of what you focus in on is messaging and indoctrination, if I had to guess. But uh, when you look at the different business models of new user activation, you know, what do you see in the differences between freemium and even say free with no credit card required? How do you see those panning out? Yeah, so I see the, the two really there's two two to three different models. The freemium model I think is a is a really different difficult uh separate model entirely. Like that's a that to go into a freemium model is is challenging unless you have a really really good idea of your understanding of your market. And you know what the moment is that they uh, get value from the product, um, or you can get them hooked on the product and and follow up. So I usually don't suggest companies go with a freemium model, especially if they're starting, because usually they don't understand their customers well enough. But the big change between um, uh, so assuming the freemium model is a separate one, and uh, in your customers. When, when they sign up, you have to have a really good follow-up process in place. You really have to understand who they are and what they need to do to get to success, with the product or the aha moment. With a, with a free trial, there's a few different ones. There's Like you said, there's credit card first, no charge. Credit card first, and we charge you. And then you have a certain amount of time to get a refund. And then there's the actual like free trial, no credit card required. It depends on, on what your service is and what the competitors you're doing and what your market is. But typically... I suggest doing a free trial model at the beginning if you're starting out. And even if you're not starting out, if you if you just have a lot of users and you don't know who your users are and you're not really sure what the aha moment is and you kind of feel like you're successful regardless of the fact that you haven't really done a lot of like marketing and you don't really know who your audience is. I, I work with a lot of SaaS companies that are just successful despite themselves because they have a good product. So what I suggest is um, is starting with a, with a free trial model with the idea of understanding your customers better, getting getting ideal customers to sign up, um, having conversations with them. I'm not a huge fan of demos. What I am a fan of is is concierge setup services, uh, which it's just a, it's the same thing. You're just positioning it differently, but it has more value. And so you, you offer customers like a concierge setup of their account and um, they get started faster. And then you identify who they are, what they're using the tool for, what their goals are, their pains. And then once you are start to understand that a little bit more, and you understand your market, then you can start focusing on a specific niche. And then once you start getting a lot of traffic and a lot of people coming up, coming to the tool and they know your tool and they know already who you are, so they move up the awareness level. That's when you can start testing things like uh, credit card first or paid paid trial, because you start disqualifying people who aren't who aren't ready for the tool or who don't understand the value and you start reducing support costs by that time you really need to start focusing on like getting qualified users in and then testing things and a lot of it really comes down to just like uh, and this isn't the answer that most people want to hear but it's the truth is testing just testing different things to see what's working um, but at the beginning it's easier to do it manually or not and it's not easier to do it manually but it's it's easier in the long run because you start to understand your customers a little bit more. And, and by having a, a, a really low friction trial, you get customers in there so you can start figuring out who they are and, and go from there. Yeah, that, that's a great answer. I'm kind of curious since you know, you've worked with a number of different subscription companies. Obviously, you focus on SaaS. There was a report out you know, a number of years ago that showed you know, average retention of customers that came in with and without credit card required as part of the free trial. What have you noticed as far as greater trends more recently for companies that are looking to run, hey, I want to give a 7-day, 14-day, 13-day free trial, uh, requiring that credit card up front, still giving the free trial versus not requiring the credit card once you're you know, at 60 days, 90 days, 12 months down the road? Have you noticed one of those beating out the others? Well, so there's there's two factors there. There's one is conversions are always, not always, but... 90% of the time they're higher if you require a credit card first or, or a dollar trial. 
because those customers are more committed and they've already had to convince themselves or or you've already convinced them as a as a company that you can solve their problem so they they have uh, skin in the game right like they've they have a motivation now to figure this out because if they don't figure it out or if they don't see it's a good fit they're going to get charged right so they're much more motivated to go into the tool and figure things out even if it's a really clunky onboarding process or it's not like an ideal if the tool is kind of frustrating to go through so typically conversions are are way higher on a credit card. But having said that, doesn't necessarily mean that revenue increases with that. So I can have a 50% conversion rate from trial to paid and I only have 10 trials, or I could have a 10% conversion rate from a free trial to paid without credit card uh, and be getting 1,000 trials a month, right? So which is what would, what would you rather have? 50% conversions with less revenue or less conversions with higher revenue? So... And so part of that is is really when you do require a credit card, I think the big misconception is, well, I'm only getting qualified people, I'm filtering out people that aren't a good fit, and my conversions are going to go up. But what they don't consider a lot of times is you're increasing the amount of friction that users have to go through to sign up. So if they're not already sold on the product, chances are they're going to go somewhere else because the friction is too high. So you're only appealing to a very, like, very uh, motivated part of your audience and you're losing out on on the other people unless you have a retargeting funnel in place and you're dripping content to them or you have a you have a low risk offer for them to to try before they put their credit card in you know like some kind of guide or a training or something or a pre-recorded demo that you can have them sign up for unless you unless you have that you're going to only appeal to a very motivated part of your audience with the free trial you have it's a lot less motivation because i sign up for free and I don't, if I don't figure anything out, like it's cool. Like I don't have to, there's not going to, they're not going to charge my credit card. I'm not pressured to do anything. There's not a time limit, but you get more people to sign up. So, and you get also a lot more disqualified people to sign up and people who aren't really maybe necessarily serious about the tool. So, so you have to look at, you have to look at both of those and where you're at in your business. Do you want more customers signing up so you can get more data and try to identify your niche? Or are you at a point now where you're so well known? Or your, your marketing site does a really good job of building the value of the tool that people are, are more likely to put in their credit card and, and sign up. Yeah, I mean, from my experience, you know, we, we've built two SaaSs now. And it also kind of depends on what the sequencing is and what the urgency is of them to seek the value of your product. For instance, like our previous tool, uh, Contest Domination, which we still run, um, that has a seven-day no credit card required trial. Because we found that with contests, uh, people generally are looking to run a contest like tomorrow. <laughs> they mm-hmm. want to get it up and running yeah. really quickly. We used to offer a free tier and we found that we were giving away too much. So we, we tried the freemium model and it was kind of killing us. So we, we cut the totally free plan, moved it to a free seven-day trial, no credit card required. But we have a trigger point because most people get through there, launch their contest. Hey, this is cool. But then after seven days, it's like, hey, if you don't pick something, and that could even be a you know pay-per-use contest credit, we're going to disable your contest. And oftentimes they've already launched it to their audience. So, <laughs> right. So that, right. that which, had a which good is great. Trip. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That's so it had a good just, tripping point. Um, and, and then even yeah. if that didn't work, we actually had what we call introductory pricing. So our subscriptions were discounted in the first 14 days after someone signed up. So even if they weren't motivated enough or didn't get it launched before the seven day point, chances are they didn't want to lose their account-specific discount by the 14-day point. <laughs> so we had sort of two conversion points in the first 14 days of somebody signing up. Uh, and so that worked really well for that business. Whereas with Campaign Refinery, you know, we find that it's a, a bit of a slower process because the pain of moving is more difficult when it comes to marketing automation. And so sometimes people need a little bit more convincing or it takes a little bit longer. And so we actually are doing a 14-day credit card required trial that goes into an auto bill at the end of that because I think you're right. Just the nature of it being credit card required does put more emphasis and urgency on them getting going. But there's also a pretty good chance that they might not finish their their migration within 14 days. And once they get that first bill, you know, we would still work with them if they're like, hey, I actually meant to cancel we're not going to be, you know, total hard asses about it. But if they get that first bill, it's like, oh man, now I'm getting billed. Now I really got to step up my game. You know, now I really got to get this migration 
completed to get the value out of this and make sure that this is going to work for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is just, like you said, it, you're just trying things to see what works and, you know, and, and part of it might be maybe they need more time to transfer everything over. So maybe 30 days is good. Maybe it's not, maybe it's worse. Maybe having the, the shorter trials actually motivates them more to get things transferred over. So it's just a matter of kind of like testing that to see what works better. Yeah. Like for instance, one thing that we're actually testing soon is we're doing, um, what's called like a marketing automation bootcamp. So they're buying like for a pretty low dollar amount, like done with you sort of like group implementation, but that, that small upfront purchase comes with a 60 day trial of the software that goes into a rebuild. So they're, they're buying basically the onboarding process, but more high touch. And then at the end, it actually goes into the rebuild, but they have a longer window because it's, it's spaced out that way with the content. So that by the end of it, they should definitely be seeing value and they've given us a little money up front and the math works out to effectively like a 30 day trial really from yeah a, from a financing perspective but from mm-hmm. their perspective they're purchasing value and they're getting 60 days to make a decision on the recurring component yeah that makes a lot of sense i really like that cool so um i mean i guess that doesn't really give me an answer on, <laughs> on what what's working best compared to that older uh, report from i believe it was a 2012 or 2013 uh, you might even know the report I'm talking about. I can't remember the name of the company that that put it out off the top of my head. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But great. So with SaaS companies, what other kind of hurdles do you see that are pretty typical when it comes to uh, other components of their business, when it comes to upgrading the you know, average account value, when it comes to reducing churn? What kind of things sort of stick out from that standpoint? Yeah, so there's a few things that I see a lot. One is... I see a lot of companies putting their best features in the higher higher plans. So customers that sign up don't ever get access to their best stuff or the stuff that will make maybe eventually make them convert, but because they're they're hidden in higher tier plans, uh, they never get to experience it. So they either use a tool for a little bit and, and don't get the value or they feel kind of like taken advantage of because they have to pay to access a specific feature that's required for them to have success. So I call this the drug dealer method, which is giving out your best stuff to the customers right away and limiting it in either like time or quantity. And so when a customer has success with something and the more success that they have, it encourages them to move up in the plan. Uh, So they don't have to like upgrade to get the feature of your tool that is makes you different from everyone else. Right. So. There's a lot of there's a lot of companies that do this really well. Reply.io is one, Hotjar, I believe, where they only limit you based on the number of views or people that you want to reach out to. That's the only limiting thing. And they give you access to everything else because once you've, you know, had 30 or you know, 300 screen recordings and your company starts to grow and you uh, and just naturally you're having success because of the product and they're helping you grow or achieve your desired outcome, then you naturally move up and you're happy to move up because you're getting more access to something you know that's helped you. So that's one big thing that I've noticed. And that's as part of uh, increasing customer value is um, is giving giving away your best stuff and, and limiting it. The second thing is, and this is, happens a lot, and this is actually a huge issue with, with ClickFunnels right now, is, uh, is churn because what you promise the user, oftentimes they're not able to achieve, even if they could go through the entire onboarding process and are 100% successful at using your product in the way that it was designed. So that's the job to be done of, of your product. I call, I call it the, um, and I think this comes from Lincoln Murphy, which is the functional completion of your product. And then there's a gap between the functional completion of your product and the desired outcome that they want. And I'll use a campaign refinery as an example. So even if somebody went through campaign refinery, they had all the best campaigns set up. They had the most wonderful emails, beautiful landing pages, but they didn't have any traffic. It doesn't matter how successful they are with your tool. They're not going to continue with the service. They're not having, they're not going to get to their desired outcome, which is essentially to grow their business and automate their sales process and get more customers, right? So, so you as a company, as campaign refining, that's what I love about that bootcamp idea, is you're closing those success gaps. And a lot of companies don't do that. They, uh, they provide you a tool, and then they expect you to kind of figure out 
the rest of the gaps by yourself. And either they go somewhere else to get those gaps filled, or they find some other tool that does that for them and they move because you haven't filled those success gaps. So those are, those are two big things that I've seen. If you can, um, if you can help your customers get success with your product, even if it's outside of the functional completion, and if you can give your customers really good features and tools um, during their trial or during whatever plan they're on um, to get them hooked on the product, then you're going to have you're going to see conversions increase, customer value increase, and churn decrease significantly. Yeah, it makes total sense. I, I do want to loop back though and talk a little bit more about ClickFunnels, actually, if you don't mind. Um, because ClickFunnels is sort of an interesting case study, specifically in our market space, um, when you look at them, because they, they've obviously had phenomenal growth, right? They've, they've mm-hmm. had a ton of users. I think they're at, you know, 75,000-ish users right now. They've been able to basically 4X their growth rate in, in the current year, or at least 4X their onboarding is probably a, a more accurate way to say that with, a, you know, some different funnels and things. But when I look at them and it's like, okay, they, they've made a, a, you know, obviously a pretty complex product and they keep bolting on more stuff, which I have my own feelings about that, about sort of the <laughs> all-in-one kitchen sink mentality versus mm-hmm. layering yeah. what I consider best-in-class tools and services. But when you look at it, I can't help but feel, you know, you called it functional versus outcome. You know, to me, it kind of mm-hmm. feels like functional completion versus aspirational completion a little bit because when you look at their you know they always talk about their culture not just culture but you know culture and it, mm-hmm. and it definitely feels like that's probably a pretty apt description of the way that that rabid community has worked and I'm, I'm not saying this to be derogatory but it feels some ways similar to kind of like an mlm type mentality where it's saying hey this is going to be my silver bullet right like i have no money i have no skills but if I buy ClickFunnels, I'm going to be a, you know, a two comma club, you know, person, I'm going to make a million dollars. And they have a couple people that have definitely done that, you know, that complete transformation story of, you know, rags to riches kind of thing. But that's obviously not realistic for 70,000 people to do, right? So mm-hmm. what is it in your eyes that you see where they're, where they're sort of missing the functional versus aspirational outcomes of their customer base? Yeah, that's a great question. Russell is a genius marketer. He's he's just he's phenomenal at what he does. I have the highest respect for them and for their company. They do a really good job. What they're selling though is they're not selling a tool, they're selling the dream. And that's what Russell is really good at. And it is kind of like an MLM because in, in an MLM you're not you're not really selling the idea of going to your friends and and getting them to buy products, right? You're selling the this I, this dream of working from home, and anyone can do it. And you don't need to have you don't need to have a product. You don't really need to have anything. And so that's the problem with ClickFunnels is. And Russ is he's created some really good content like Expert Secrets and Dot Com Secrets, and he have he has really good trainings. But there's a huge disconnect when when you, when you tell somebody that you're just one funnel away from being a millionaire. All they think is the funnel is this new opportunity. And as soon as they have a funnel set up, then they're going to be rich. And they go into ClickFunnels, they create the funnel, and then they, they try it out and they don't have success because there's so many other elements to a really successful, if you want to call it funnel, or, or in it, and in, in this case, it's just business that they're missing out on. Like I could have a really, really amazing funnel, but I could be selling icicles to a bunch of Eskimos. It doesn't matter how good my funnel is. Like they're not going to buy. So what they, I think, what the the issue with with ClickFunnels is that they've moved away from selling a a solution to a problem, which is the job to be done, which is selling a tool that helps marketers who have a successful product sell more of their product and, and spend less time. Which is really kind of the messaging that would um, that they, I, in my opinion, I think they should be going after. They should be going after people who. Um, who already have successful products and successful things and and who who just have a really hard time setting up funnels and because he can really help with that versus going to somebody who um, has no product or has idea of a product and thinks that click funnels can help them build out a business and and help them get that one funnel that'll make them a millionaire because that's not what happens when you go into click funnels and he does try to fill those those gaps to get them to that their core desire but man there's so much that goes into that that it might take somebody years to get to the point where they finally find a good product and a good market and they create a good offer 
and then ClickFunnels can help them out. But by that time, you know, they've already signed up and churned and it's years later and, and they're using something else, you know, because it was cheaper. So anyways, those are my, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on that. So that, that's my, my thought on that. No, I, I'm, I'm actually in complete agreement. You know, even though I, I don't use ClickFunnels for our own pages, we use a different tool. And then obviously we use Campion Refinery for our marketing automation side of things. His content is great. So even though I'm not a, a ClickFunnels customer per se, like I buy his books, I've you know bought his webinar training, like all that, that side of his business is excellent. It's it, A lot of it is is truly some of the best that you can even get in the marketplace. So even though we mm-hmm. may be risking cannibalizing some of our own attention and prospects, I tell people, hey, go get their book. You know, the, the free plus ship offer, like that's immense value for, yeah. for your time and effort. But I agree, you know, it, it kind of circles back to the beginning of our conversation, right? Where the person has to have a good offer with differentiation and all the normal things that that make it possible to really be successful with their offer. And and it does feel like like a big portion of their audience is kind of missing that. Even though they have the mm-hmm. best training, the best, you know, some really good tools at their disposal, you know, you, you kind of can't shoehorn that one <laughs> to get past yeah. that that hurdle. Yeah, it's a huge challenge. I I know for a fact it's a huge challenge. Churn is a huge challenge for them. And they continue to grow, but it's it's almost like pouring water in a leaky bucket. You know, and at some at some point their the growth is going to stagnate or hit a plateau and then start to decrease to decrease if they if they keep doing what they're doing. Um and which is why they keep bolting on new products, right? Because instead of trying to to solve the core problem, they're trying to solve more problems. Instead of trying to solve one problem 100%, you can solve lots of problems at like 50%. And so you kind of can maybe justify, well, I'm not just paying for a funnel tool. I'm paying for a CRM and a marketing automation tool, and I'm paying for all this stuff. So, I mean, I kind of need all of this, you know, like it's not a, not a, a need, a must or a want anymore. It's a, it's a need. So anyways. Yeah. Well, uh, if you don't mind, I actually want to dive into it because I have this core philosophy that, you know, the, the, the tools of the past, you know, the Infusionsofts, the Entreports, and now even the, the ClickFunnels sort of stack was always like, let's try to be the jack of all trades and not necessarily the master of any of them. How do you feel about products, especially in the SaaS space, that are that are trying to build every widget under the sun so that they can then justify a, a slightly higher price point as opposed to people that are saying, you know what, like we're just going to build the best landing page tool that we know how to build and all of our focus is going to be there and we're going to partner with you know, the best automation tool or the best checkout software. How do you feel about those different approaches in terms of long-term viability? Uh, Sujan Patel is a good friend of mine and, and he's he's built a lot of SaaS companies. He's just a really brilliant marketer. And he he told me he had a had a, a product, I forgot the name of the product, it was a contentmarketer.io or some some product where it was helping digital marketers and it had all this stuff. It was just jam-packed with stuff. And uh, over over time, he hit a plateau. He, he, he users would sign in and they would just be overwhelmed with stuff. And the people that really really loved his tool were only using like a small portion of the the products. So he just got rid of everything else and made one tool out of it, and it just solved one problem. And he said that was like one of the best things that he had done, because now because you're focusing on a very particular problem you can go after a very particular market. You can understand that market better and solve their problem better and better and better instead of trying to be the jack of all trades, which some companies have been able to do that, but because they have lots and lots of investment and and funding, uh, they can get in front of a lot of people. But it's such a challenge to try to solve everyone's problems and do everyone really, really well. I have a client of mine who has got a great tool at Swell Systems, and it's uh, it kind of combines everything, invoicing, everything to run your business, like invoicing, quotes, email marketing, landing page builder, everything built into the tool. Um, but the problem is that if you're not, and and I don't, I think that 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 would work really well if it was the the one all tool for a specific industry. So for like dentists, because then you could build every feature and tool that all dentists need. And and make it really really focused. That would that would be the only way that I could see that working really well. Because otherwise, you're going to have 
tons of different people come in and have tons of different needs and all and you're they're going to start requesting things and in order for them to stick around you have to build it in and the tool becomes so complex over time that it just becomes so difficult for people to use so my personal suggestion is to solve a really really specific problem for a specific group of people and get really really good and solve that better than anyone else uh, you want to become like the the heart surgeon of your industry, right? Your people will pay a lot of money to work with you because uh, they know you solve their problem better than anyone else. And then in order to increase customer value, it's not a matter of like bolting on new stuff. It's a matter of creating new offers that solve your customers' problems better. Like for instance, uh, I, I love what you're doing with campaign refinery. Like if, if, you're a, if, you're, if you have a CRM for a specific industry, um, why not offer a concierge service where we'll fill your CRM with with a thousand new leads, you know, and it's X Y Z because you're you continue to solve that problem better instead of building an invoice tool that solves another problem because that just takes it, it, you start become start to become a lot more complex. So those are my thoughts on that. I know that might be a little bit jumbled, but that's I think that's the direction most people should go. But don't go because they feel like the more value I provide, and value to them always equals more tools, but it's not always that way people don't buy a software they're buying a solution to a problem and if you can solve that problem better for them and offer different solutions and levels for people that are ready to that that have the funds or the the right resources to take advantage of it then it's a much better much better like road to take i think that mirrors my thoughts really closely to be honest i mean the the whole reason the campaign refiner even exists is because we were using infusionsoft previously and it was frustrating because it was like, yeah, you guys have everything, but like your shopping cart kind of sucks, you know, like these different elements just don't work how they're supposed to. And it's not because you, you know, you don't care about it it's just because you lack the resources to have essentially four different organizations operating under one umbrella is kind of what you'd have to do to make that possible because it's really difficult to share your focus between all the business logic behind automation rules and then all the business logic behind a shopping cart and an affiliate system and a landing page creator and, 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 you know, mm -hmm. you start building yeah. it on. And when we looked at how are we going to do this better, we decided, hey, let's really focus on deliverability by being able to split test deliverability, create a campaign library and tools that increase conversion. That Because that's the stack that people need to get value out of their messaging mm -hmm. from our standpoint. When we looked at you know, when you're actually collecting the money, right? It's going to be very different needs for somebody who sells courses versus somebody who has an actual e-commerce store, right? The way that that functionality is going to have to operate is wildly different, right? Mm -hmm. Very linear yeah. typically for courses and software, whereas e-commerce, there's more use of coupons, the idea of an actual cart and coming back and retargeting and uh, that component is just a totally different skill set required to build that kind of tool and we didn't want to try to pick you know hitch our wagon to one or the other you can integrate whatever fits your business the best with the automation tool on top yeah the reason um and this is such an interesting conversation because i think most most software founders go into an industry and they think you know the problem is that that we're using so many different tools and it's so confusing and I don't like to use a lot of different tools. What if we had one tool that did it all? I think that's what people think that they want. I think what they think they want is a tool that does it all. But what they really want is results. And if that means kind of using four different tools to achieve the result that you want, and they all do the job really, really well versus one tool that does it all, but does each thing kind of good, like halfway, they would choose the the first, you know? And but but building out that unicorn tool that does it all for everyone, I just think that's just it's just unless you've got I don't even think with funding and with with genius people on your team, I don't think it's possible, nor it just drive you crazy. I, I think a lot of even though Apple is clearly not really a SaaS first company, they're they're sort of morphing into a services business, but but I think Apple is the best sort of encapsulation of this theory that Unlimited money and the ability to hire unlimited amount of people really does not mean unlimited bandwidth. Yeah. And so if Apple <laughs> yeah. right can't feels that they can't be 
best in class at everything, it seems unrealistic to think that anyone way less funded, way less ability to hire great talent, et cetera, et cetera, would even be able to come close either. So it's it's sort of the mythical, you know, man month, right? It's uh, yeah. throwing more engineers doesn't always make the problem be solved faster. Yeah. It doesn't allow you to solve more problems at the same speed. You You run into these sort of breakdowns that as humans, we have a hard time wrapping our head around, like, why can't we just throw more resources at it? But that's just not how it works. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of times it's not the answer. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So, you know, you've worked with a lot of different businesses and I just want to kind of get an idea. So so your business is, is an agency, right? So you charge, uh, what, I know you have a lot of great free value content as well, and I'm sure you have escalating. Can you kind of explain to us what your business is like and what the different levels of value that you provide to businesses is? Yeah, so my I have a program called the SaaS Accelerator, and it's a coaching program. And what we do is I've created all the frameworks, templates, scripts, everything that that SaaS companies need, specifically SaaS companies who offer a trial. So I don't, that's the only that's the only kind of target that I that I help to uh, implement all of this stuff and then get support as they implement it. So we focus on three different pillars. One is the one is acquire convert and retain. And uh, the way my program works is um, you get to work with me one-on-one every month. And when you have a specific problem, then we uh, provide the the training to you and the templates to get it done. And then we review it. Uh, you get my eyes on it. And then they implement, uh, you implement it, and then we revise and iterate. And so I work really well with, uh, if you have a company, a team, with a marketing team or somebody that can implement, but but they're not at the skill level that you would like, I come in, I'm kind of like a virtual CMO in a way and help them uh, get their job done faster, more efficiently, better, and uh, increase the value of your team. So that's kind of the way that I work. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that there's definitely going to be a, a continuous market of SaaS people that are going to look for those kind of services. So I think you've picked a, a good niche to kind of hunker down in and and operate in. So yeah, I, and it's a lot of fun too. There's just like, there's so many smart people in this world, in the SaaS world, you know, and it's just, it's just, it's awesome to be able to work with so many talented people. Yeah. I, I do find that that's a big component to, you know, your level of satisfaction in your work is who yeah. are you working with and what kind of problems are you trying to solve? Totally. So I have two more things I want to talk to you about. First is if you were talking to someone who's just getting their SaaS going, what are some of the best ways you've seen people get their first 10 customers? Because we, you know, we found in all the tools that we've ever launched, right? Two of them SaaS, other others have been WordPress plugins and things of that nature. Getting those first 10 customers is far and away the hardest. The next 10 are easier, the next 10 are easier after that, so on and so forth. So what advice would you have, or what's the most interesting way you've seen a business get their first 10 customers? Yeah, so I, I in fact, just got off an interview with a, a founder who just told me the exact process that he went through. And, and this is very common among uh, successful SaaS companies is, uh, and I, I, already, I already mentioned this, and I'll say it again, because I, I really firmly believe this, and this is from what I've learned from the companies I've worked with and interviewed. Most of the, the SaaS companies that I, that I know of that have gotten their first initial customers have picked a specific market to work on, identified a problem that is very painful, and then approach the right person, either in that company or most of the times it's the founder, CEO, and say, hey, we solve this problem. Just curious if, if you'd like to try us out and see if we could solve it for you, if you have this problem. And the more painful the problem is, the more success you're going to have getting your first customers. Because a lot of people think, oh, you need to ha- I need to have a bunch of like testimonials and I need to discount my service or, you know, I, I need to have all this proof. But really it comes down to if you can if you can approach someone and solve a pain for them that, that no one's been able to solve before, they don't need to have you don't need to have all this like trust. All you need to do is be able to express their pain in a way that they that they resonate with. And a lot of that comes from just like interviews. And the next part is just showing them how it solves their problem and solving their problem for them. And what I've seen, what I see a lot is because of the slice of the pie mentality, it's really hard to go into, first of all, it's really hard to find people that, 
and I'll use the booking tool as an example of just, you know, need to schedule calls. Like where do you, there's no like Facebook targeting option where you can just select anybody who's looking to book calls or to anybody who has a Google calendar, you know, like those are just really, really hard to target. So if you've got a tool, my suggestion is I have a framework called the 15 minute niche discovery, and it identifies what niche that you should focus on first based on a few different categories, like how accessible is the person, how big is their pain, how much resources and money do they have? um, How big is the market? And you identify a few different markets to go after. And then, I mean, on the interview I was just on, this guy would just reach out. He wasn't a sales guy. He was an engineer, had no sales experience. He would reach out to people on LinkedIn and say, hey, you know, I'm just curious. We we built this tool that solves this problem. If you have this problem, um, it might be something that we can solve for you. Would you be open to a chat about it? And people would just say yes. Uh, If they have the pain, they'd hop on a demo call and they do the demo and show them the tool. And if the tool's solves the problem. People are like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I need this. So they sign up and getting those first customers. I I don't really see a way around those first 10 customers. I I always suggest no matter what the price point you have is to get, get them on a demo call or uh, a call to explain the tool so you can kind of understand your market more. Then once you understand the market and you're really clear on who you think you solve the biggest pain for, then you can start uh, getting feedback from your customers. It's easier to get customers, really easy to get those 10 customers once you identify the pain that they have. And then you can start to scale it out and move into like a trial uh, model once you've kind of figured out who you're marketing to, what their pains are, and how you can solve their problem. Um, then you can go from there. When, I, I don't suggest usually uh, scaling or just sending to a free trial with a new product without talking to your customers first and getting their their feedback on the tool. So that would be my suggestion for the for getting the first 10 customers. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money. I mean, even with us having, you know, an audience of over 20,000 people from our previous tool, when I first launched Campion Refinery, I didn't just email the list and say, hey, we got this tool, go, this new tool, go, go check it out. I didn't do that right out of the gate. Instead, I like, you know, individually messaged people that I knew were fit our sort of avatar description and said, mm-hmm. hey, I've, I've got this thing that does it, uh, solves marketing automation in a way that we think is kind of unique. You know, it helps your, it helps your deliverability. It helps, you know, you build campaigns faster and it helps you increase conversions. Would you mind just taking a look at it, spending 15 minutes with me and giving me some feedback? And that wasn't even necessarily asking for the sale. And what would inevitably happen is they'd be like, oh my God, where have you been all my life? (laughs) Because we actually (laughs) solve some problems that people have had, especially feeling held hostage by deliverability. And then at the end of the conversation, whether they bought or not, I would just say, hey, you know, your feedback has been really helpful and useful. And I took a lot of notes and I always do. And I said, do you know anyone else that you think might be interested in this kind of problem? And, And what we found is that not only would a high percentage of the people that I genuinely was interested, number one, in feedback, number two, in them being a customer, a lot of them would become a customer, and then they would go out of their way to do individual email uh, introductions to sometimes two, three, five, even eight people and say things in the email like, you know, hey, this tool is something I've been praying to come to market. They would literally say that in the email. And so you get this (laughs) compounding effect just by asking for a little bit of a referral at the end, not a hard sell, just, hey, do you know anyone else that you think might benefit from being able to split test their deliverability? And mm-hmm. just by asking that is enough to totally fan the flame in an authentic way. And I think that reinforces that if you're successful with that, that you are in fact solving a pain point that gets people to jump out of their seat. So yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a good litmus know- test. I 100% agree. 100% agree. If you can, if you can get somebody to say, "How do I buy your tool?" from a just a, a pain exploration call, then you know you got something. And if you don't get that yet, there's either two things: one is you haven't gotten the pain point right, you're not targeting the right audience, or two, your tool just isn't like isn't solving the problem, the right problem. Most of the time, it's if you got a problem, if you got a tool that's working and that solves the problem because you're not talking to the right type of person. But once you talk to the right type of person and they say, I got to have this, you know, you got something that's, that's like gold right there. So that's really cool that, that I, I I recommend that process 100%. Yeah. Do the unscalable things, especially in the beginning. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I want to wrap up with kind of the the last tenant here. And and I, I think this is an important aspect of all business owners. And I think that it's frankly glossed over or, 
sort of not talked about by a lot of people. And that is mental health as a business owner and marketer, as someone, you know, myself who suffers from generalized anxiety and even panic disorder when it gets really bad. I think that it's important to talk about anxiety, depression, uh, all these different things that can get in the way of entrepreneurs and business owners as they're going through what is oftentimes the most grueling experience of their life, trying to build and scale a successful and sustainable business. So are any of these things, things that maybe you've gone through uh, in your entrepreneurial journey? And if they have or haven't, what things in your life do you do to try to avoid and reduce the amount of pressures and stress and anxiety in your business? Yeah, that is a great, great question. I definitely not talked about too much because it's not the sexy part of starting a business and running a business. And and people think that uh, if they go through those things, that there's something wrong with them and that they're not meant to be an entrepreneur. I was looking at uh, Dan Martell is a really, really great resource too. You should probably have him on, on the show. He'd, he'd be fantastic. But he just shared something on Instagram. It was like a like a uh, a graph or went up and down and up and down. And, and the top was like, life is great. I'm doing really good. And then the bottom was, what am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. And you know, the top was, life is great. Just got to sign a new client. And then the next one is, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to eat today. And that's every entrepreneur has to go through those things. And for me specifically, there are days like today where, uh, you know, my son got up at 540 and he just like, you know, he's 18 months and he doesn't really like communicate to me yet, like what he wants. And so I couldn't figure out what he wanted. And he was just crying for like 40 minutes. I just didn't know what to do. And I just got like really upset and I just got really impatient. I felt like I wasn't being a good dad. And like those, those things happen. And for me, one of the biggest things, I, I think uh, everyone needs to find their own coping routine, a healthy coping routine. And everyone is different. For me, I talk to my wife and I just say, here's what I'm going through. I have a few, uh, a few people that I reach out to kind of sponsors in a way. And and I say, hey, man, I'm just struggling with this right now. I just want to let you know. So bringing, bringing your feelings to light reduces some of that shame. And first of all, it, it gets it out of your body and you just your soul. And second of all, you find out you're not the only one who has these problems. You're not alone. The other thing that I do is I'm, I'm a big fan of writing. And one, one thing that's really helped me is something I learned from a book called a book. I don't remember the name of the book, but it was something to do with morning pages. And it's the idea that in the morning, you just write two pages, fill two pages with writing, whatever's on your mind. Uh, and I call that a brain sweep. And it's getting all this clutter out of your head that kind of builds up uh, because a lot of that stuff leads to anxiety and depression because you're not expressing it. And by just by getting it out into like the ethos and expressing it, clearing out some of that stuff in your brain for me has been just like really, really helpful. But there's still days where it's like, I don't want to do anything. You know, I don't want to get up. I don't want to work. I don't want to talk to anyone. And But usually if I go through those things, I go through my routine, taking care of your body is really important too. I, I took a food sensitivity test to find out what foods were making me feel bad. And I stopped eating foods that were I found out I was allergic to. I took a sleep study test, found out I had sleep apnea, like all these things that, that I thought were kind of selfish. You know, I should be focusing on my clients, not going to a sleep study. These helped me become a better coach. They helped me become a better person. My health improves. Taking care of yourself, I think, is just so, so crucial. It's the number one thing. If you put your mask on first, then you can help other people put their mask on. So anyways, those are, those are a few things that have really helped me. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you sharing. And, and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners deal with a lot more extreme, you know, versions of anxiety, depression, panic, whatever, but a lot of people just don't talk about it. And so I think that normalizing it a little bit will in and of itself help reduce it for a lot of people because when you don't feel like, man, I'm going crazy, I'm the only person in the world that has these issues. No, in reality, I think that we're in a pretty big cohort of people that suffer to varying degrees, right, at varying stages yeah. in their life. And I agree, you know, uh, how you eat, how you sleep, how you work out, you know, how you let it out, whether it's, you know, through cardio or conversation or whatever, all of these things are important to kind of the greater ecosystem to being better overall. Like for instance, uh, traffic and conversion is a, is a conference that I love going to. And I'd been to it for five or six years in a row. And like my anxiety was just killing me leading up to the one this year. 
And I actually ended up bailing this year. And I was so bummed that I missed. And my phone was blowing up. People saying, hey, are you in San Diego yet? Because they were expecting me to be there. And mm-hmm. saying like, no, I just, it's not going very well this year. Like I just, I need to focus on me for a week and, I, and I'm not going to be as f- high functioning as I want to be. And I was shocked, absolutely shocked how many people responded with, hey, I'm going through something similar or it may, may, may manifest differently, but you know, people I had no idea were, were going through similar kind of issues really were, as you said, putting their mask on and trying to go through the motions and sort of not fake it till you make it, but put on the appearance that they the community in their eyes expected them to operate at. So yeah, it's just important yeah. to kind of be you, be real. You know, I think that, that that has a lot of value for a lot of people in the marketplace. So thanks again for sharing. I think it. so too. And I appreciate you asking that question too. I think it's, I think it's something that's not talked about that I, I try to talk about too with, with, you know, my, my coaching students, with my group, you know, I, I, I make, I try to make posts and, and content that's like, Hey, like I'm struggling today and, um, and that's all right. You know, if you're struggling today, that's okay too. Like take a break and get back into it tomorrow, you know, and, and you're not alone. So I, I think it's really cool that, uh, that you bring that up. So, yeah, well, Hey, this is, yeah, my, my pleasure. I'm glad that people have been so open to it so far through this series. And I hope that, that it continues to be a staple at the end. Cause like I said, I think that by shining a light on it, we'll all feel a little better at the end of the day. And, you know, it doesn't need to be like the main focus. It doesn't need to define people's lives, but, <laughs> right. but talking about right. it and understanding that it is a natural process and that some days are going to be extreme highs, but there are going to be days that can be extreme lows and, and trying to be more even keeled about it and just more confident and moving forward with it in a more measured approach, I think is going to help everyone at the end of the day. So thank you I so totally much. agree. Yeah. Thank you. Well, hey, you know, I think that we're, we're coming up against our, our time limit here, but uh, I really appreciate you being on. Um, what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they want to get more information from you or ask you some additional questions after the interview is over? You know, the best way to get a hold of me is I have a, uh, a Facebook group called SaaS Growth Hacks, and it's a it's about 12,000 SaaS founders uh, that share like what's working to grow their SaaS right now. It's a fantastic community. If you just type in SaaS Growth Hacks on Facebook and join, I'll, uh, and, and, and you can reach out to me through that group. I'm, I'm there all the time. You can comment in the group, send me a Facebook message, whatever. I'll, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, hey, I've, I've truly uh, really appreciated and enjoyed our time together today. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing your information and, y- and your, your wisdom. And hopefully we'll uh, find a, a conference or something in the future and meet up in person. <laughs> totally. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Travis. It's a pleasure speaking right. with you. Yep. Thank you. All right. You bet.